Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Boy, every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date. The luxury package you got after a big promotion or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions like navigation and moonroof, and watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew that was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so that you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, Check out True Car today. True Cash Offer not available in all areas. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. All righty. Here we go. Number 47, No Excuses Podcast with John Taffer. Hello, everybody. Well, it's mid-May 2019. I made a pretty big announcement earlier this week, which I've been talking and talking and talking about and teasing all you guys. Well, I announced it last week. My new TV show premieres June 2nd, and I'm really excited about it. It's called Marriage Rescue. And it's funny, looking online, people saw the there's a, a preview online that you can watch. It's on my Facebook and, and uh, social media pages, as well as Paramount, the network's pages. But, you know, it was a, a real challenge. And people were saying, why the hell is Taffer doing marriage rescue, right, Corey? I saw some of those oh, posts yeah. online. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. Marriage rescue is no different than partnership rescue in business, Corey. And when you think about it, all the bar rescues that I've done over the years... And uh, uh, I've done now 177 episodes of Bar Rescue. A good bunch of them had married couples in them. And not only did the business hurt the marriage, but the marriage hurt the business. So I've been focused on helping relationships for a long, long time. So let me tell you about Marriage Rescue. So Marriage Rescue is, was really exciting. It was actually developed for me by the network. And uh, I, I know that doesn't happen very often. Normally shows are pitched to the network, but this case, the network actually pitched a show to me. And because of all the relationship work I've done on Bar Rescue, they were watching Bar Rescue and some of the network executives who are friends of mine, happen to love my network. And uh, uh, Chaz and a few of them said, boy, you know, Taffer's so good at this relationship stuff. Why don't we create a relationship show? How about Marriage Rescue? So we created a format for the show together. And here's what happens. I take two couples to a five-star resort in Puerto Rico for four days. Not only do I sit and talk with them, but I send them on activities that challenge their relationship, that build trust, you know, uh, uh, diminish one to another, cause humility to balance out a, a uh, um, submissive and dominant relationship, laying the playing fields. So I send them out to do all sorts of very challenging activities in many cases that they don't want to do. And I work them through relationship building exercises. I work them through relationship stress exercises. And after four days, I find out if they're going to stay together or not. And here's what's interesting. We make them stay in separate hotel rooms. There's no makeup sex allowed on, on, on marriage rescue, Corey. That would ruin the whole thing, right? Oh, wow. That's interesting. So we keep them in separate hotel rooms. They have their separate airplanes. They can leave anytime they want. And a lot of the couples arrive saying, I'm going to stay for one day. If this doesn't work, I'm out of here tomorrow. So it's a sort of a hostile situation I'm thrown into. So they're in separate rooms. They're in this hotel. They think they have a chance at saving their marriage or they wouldn't be there trying in the first place. But a lot of them were very, very challenging. And to do a show like Marriage Rescue is, is uh, not just a wonderful opportunity for a television show. It's a really big responsibility. And, you know, I'm dealing with people's bars, which are their livelihoods. And I take that responsibility very, very seriously. When you think about messing with somebody's marriage, Corey, I mean, think of the impact on their children, their family, even generations. Right. Do they stay together? Do they not? So to me, 
It's the biggest responsibility I've ever had. So I read all sorts of books. You know, I, I looked at videos and I said, okay, how can I be really good at this? And here's what I learned. Marriage therapy, therapist, psychiatrists have a huge limitation on them. And boy, am I going to get hate mail after saying this. And here's the limitation, Corey. The limitation is you got to come back next week, which means I can only be so direct with you. If I'm too direct, you might not come back. Possible? Yeah. If I confront you too hard, you might not come back, right? Right. If I embarrass you in front of your spouse, you might not come back, right? Right. Well, to me, a therapist can't dive in deep enough and aggressively enough because they always have to make sure you come back next week with that next check. And on marriage rescue, there is no next week, Corey. So I am really direct, really aggressive in their face, to be honest with you, calling them out. And in many cases, many of them said, boy, you know, uh, 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 we can't believe how direct this is, how heavy this is. But I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. But I can tell you that we did really well, Corey. We really impacted a bunch of relationships, and I can't wait for you guys to see it. But I've learned a lot about relationships, not only marriages, but partnership relationships, uh, 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 relationships with siblings, uh, other family members. And you know, I don't know if we've ever really thought about this, but there's six elements to a great relationship, Corey, marriage or not. But let's speak in terms of marriage or, or an intimate relationship with a girlfriend, the fiancé or spouse. There's six elements that must exist for a relationship to be good. One, significance. Each side must feel significant to the other. Now, obviously, Corey, if you were married and you're not, you're a handsome single dude. I am, yeah. But if you were married, uh, uh, you would have to feel significant to your spouse every day, right? Oh, yeah. Definitely. So if you don't feel significance, that marriage is threatened. Yeah. The next big one is connection and intimacy. If you don't connect with your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, and have real intimacy, then that relationship is threatened. So significance and connection are the big two biggies. The third element of a great relationship or a great partnership, might I say, is continuity. So, Corey, if you feel significant to your other and you feel like you have a great connection to your other, the next element is you have to believe in your future, don't you? Oh, of course. You have to believe that the relationship is going to continue. So continuity is the third and other big element that is critical to a successful marriage or relationship. The fourth one is contribution, and I put these in order. They're in no particular order psychologically. But the fourth one is contribution. Corey, if you're married to someone you got to feel that she's contributing, right? Now, that doesn't mean dollars and cents, but, you know, one of you is cleaning, one of you is shopping, one of you is doing this. But the fact is you both have to contribute to the relationship for it to be successful. Yeah. And then, of course, number five is growth. If you don't grow in your relationship, even a business relationship, if you don't grow in your marriage, see new things, go to new places, if you don't grow then one of you is going to get left behind, and that's going to create a separation. You've got to grow together in a relationship, not just apart. And then the last element is variety. And I don't mean variety in a sexual or an intimate sense. Variety means you've got to go out and do things. You've got to have fun together. You've got to go to new places, see new things. So if a relationship works, you're significant to each other. There's a connection of intimacy. There's continuity. You believe in your future with each other. You're each making contributions to the relationship. You're growing together. And you have variety and excitement in your lives. And those are the things that make a great, great marriage. So when I sit down with the couples in Marriage Rescue, Corey, I'm focused on those things. Are they significant to each other? If not, I'm going at them. Are they connecting with each other? If not, we've got to talk about that. Do they have continuity? Do they believe in their future together? If I can attack each of these six things and focus on where the problems are, I can help a relationship. And by the way, so can you. So if you wanted to assess your own marriage, ask yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, how significant are you to your other? What is your connection together? 1 to 10. What do you feel about continuity? 1 to 10. Contribution? 1 to 10. Growth? 1 to 10. Variety? 1 to 10. Rate your own relationship from 1 to 10 in those six categories. Any number 
that isn't a seven or an eight, you got to work on. And that's how you make a relationship great. That's how you work on a partnership as well to make it great. If my partner feels insignificant, Corey, I'm in trouble, aren't I? Oh, yeah. So I got to make him feel significant. I got to think that way. I got to act that way. So if the lessons that I learned from marriage rescue are really powerful. So the lessons I learned from bar rescue really equipped me to do marriage rescue. But the lessons I learned in marriage rescue were amazing. And every one of us can look at the relationships we have with people that are important in our lives, our business partners, our spouses, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our brothers, our sisters. And all of us can look at these six elements and say, boy, if we worked on just one of those, the entire relationship would change. And that's a... a Really, really powerful. I've never been more proud of anything I've ever done to Marriage Rescue. It premieres Sunday, June 10th, right after a new bar rescue on the Paramount Network. So it'll be a new bar rescue right into Marriage Rescue, and then we have six episodes of Marriage Rescue coming at you this summer. And I'm really excited. Uh, uh, please watch it. I know you'll be uh, uh, surprised at the way the show works and the energy and the intensity of it. Pretty exciting, Corey. It's fun to make a new television show. Oh, I can only imagine. So it's also fun to be in Puerto Rico. Everybody knows how much I love Puerto Rico from Operation Puerto Rico. But it was great to be down there. And I was down there for about 10 weeks making that show. But uh, uh, heading back to Denver tomorrow, Corey, to shoot my 178th Bar Rescue episode. And a couple of people asked, boy, does marriage rescue mean that that there's no more bar rescue? And the answer is no, that's not the case. Marriage Bar rescue is continuing. I'm doing 12 more next year. And we're talking about a bunch more after that. So Bar Rescue is not going anywhere. It's pretty exciting to have two television shows. So this week, in 1865, Lincoln was shot this week by John Wilkes Booth. Wow. Wow. I think that was actually uh, today. That fell on Was that today? Yeah, today's. Wow. In, In 1906, the great San Francisco earthquake happened, topping thousands of buildings, killing thousands of people. In 19, let's see, I'm trying to be chronological here. In 1947, Jackie Robinson started in baseball, breaks the color barrier for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Pretty darn exciting. In 19, uh, let's see, moving along. In 1970, Apollo 13 returns to Earth. If you haven't seen that movie or read that book, that was the mission that, that was problem after problem after problem. They never got to land on the moon, but we were really lucky we had them home. And then more recently... Tiger Woods won the Masters Tournament for the first time in 1997, and he came back and won it again this year. And the last one is in 2013. Three people were killed and hundreds were injured in the Boston Marathon bombing. Uh, uh, Thinking about them for a moment certainly wouldn't be a bad thing. So other fun things this week. You know, I love my national days, which are some of the stupidest things I've ever heard of in my life. And understand when I tell you that today is the national day of blank, This was an act of our Congress to do this. So this is what's going on in Washington, D.C. So they created national, all this week, Corey, National Crouton Day, (laughs) National Frog Jumping Day, National Apple Pie Day, Fruit Cocktail Day, National Women's Checkup Day. Well, good week for everybody to go get their physical. Yeah. Tuesday, Corey, this pertains to you, buddy, National Decency Day. Decency. (laughs) All right. (laughs) National Dance Like a Chicken Day. Can you believe that Tuesday, May 14th, is National Dance Like a Frickin' Chicken Day? I mean, do things like this exist for any logical reason? National Underground America Day. National Buttermilk Biscuit Day. I'm going to get down with that. Uh, Wednesday's National Peace Officers Memorial Day. National Chocolate Chip Day. National Nylon Stocking Day. Wow. May 16th, Thursday. National Do Something Good for Your Neighbor Day. National Love a Tree Day. Well, maybe you can help your neighbor's tree. National Piercing Day. How about this? National Sea Monkey Day. Sea Monkey. What the fuck is that? (laughs) What's a sea monkey, first of all? I I know what a seahorse is, but I'm not sure I know what a sea monkey is. And then we move to, to Friday, National Rat Pack Day, Cherry Cobbler Day, Graduation Tassel Day, Walnut Day, Idaho Day, Endangered Species Day, Defense Transportation Day, Pizza Party Day is Thursday, Friday rather, May 17th, National Pizza Party Day. We should tell Dave Portnoy about that one. Maybe do something with the barstool. Yeah. Oh, I think it's the last national- day of high school too on Friday. Is it? Yeah. National Bike to Work Day and National NASCAR Day. These days just shock the hell out of me. May 18th, 
National HIV Vaccine Awareness Day, National Visit Your Relatives Day, National No Dirty Dishes Day, (laughs) National Cheese Souffle Day, National Armed Forces Day, National Learn to Swim Day, and we finish up the week with National May Ray Day. I don't have no idea what the hell May Ray Day is. National Devil's Food Day and National Take Your Parents to the Playground Day. So over the years, that is what our government has been working on, is establishing days that will provide betterment, growth, and depth of education, knowledge, and experience to our society. And I'm very proud they did these things, Corey. I mean, what would we do? What would we do without National Crouton Day? Oh, I don't know. It would be madness in the streets. It would have a serious impact on our future, I think, buddy. So how about this? Do you ever think that you could get a DWI on a freaking lawnmower? No. Can't. say I, I can imagine that. So this guy's driving a lawnmower on the street in Florida. His license has been suspended since, since 1978, so he can't drive a car, Corey, right? So <laughs> he's driving a lawnmower on the street. Oh, now it makes sense. And hold on. This guy is not only did he lose his license. Not only has he not been able to drive since 1978, not only is he driving in the street on a, on a lawnmower, but this guy, Wayne Anderson, at 68 years old, crashed into an unoccupied police vehicle no. in his lawnmower and was charged with driving under the influence oh, for riding a freaking lawnmower in Florida. So uh, I got to tell you, uh, Wayne, Gary Wayne Anderson, congratulations, buddy. I've never heard of anybody getting a DWI on a lawnmower before. But uh, um, he did. Interesting. Somebody formed a beer. And named Guns N' Rose Beer. Now, they didn't call it Guns N' Roses. They called it Guns N' Rose Beer. And uh, certainly the band wants uh, uh, it stopped. So the rock band Guns N' Roses filed a lawsuit against the Colorado Brewery for piggybacking on their fame. Anyway, talking about piggybacking on fame, I was just at a, a video shoot earlier this morning for Taffer Mixologist. And I've been working on these for over a year now. And, you know, a lot of us just say we make great cocktails, but we don't. How many of us have friends that I make great cocktails, but they suck? So I created seven flavors. It's called Taffer Mixologist. It's all fresh, natural ingredients. There's no artificial preservatives in it. It launches at Walmart nationally at the end of the month. And we have uh, seven flavors. I'm pretty damn excited about it. So we've been shooting video and shoots with uh, uh, my mixers. All morning. And of course, we're shooting in the morning, Corey, so I'm not going to drink the booze that goes with them. Right. But I must tell you, I've been drinking a pina colada mix and Bloody Mary mix all morning and, and uh, delicious. You know, and interesting. You could take a little ice, a little pina colada mix, shake it up, pour it in a glass. You don't even need the booze for it to be delicious. Anyway, so I'm pretty excited. So this is a great week of, of announcements. June 2nd. Marriage Rescue premieres June 24th. Taffer Mixologist premieres at 4,500 Walmarts across the nation. And then in August, I'm very proud to announce Taffer Carbonated Craft Cocktails, which is our uh, spiked seltzer line, comes out also in Walmart uh, at the end of August. So there's a whole bunch going on, buddy. Pretty darn exciting times. So I'm pretty excited about Marriage Rescue. And, and you know, it's amazing what's going on in TV today, Corey, isn't it? Oh, I mean, yeah. You can buy your TV from so many different places. And, you know, you pay cable. Then you pay this one. Then you pay that one. You wind up paying, I don't know, eight, ten checks a month just to get all the TV you want. But what's amazing to me is that Pluto is the leading free streaming television service and that I can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand all for free. There's no credit card needed. There's no sign-up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Pluto TV is free on all your major devices. So download Pluto TV today and maybe you can see one of my shows there. Who knows? You know, Corey, it's an amazing time right now with all the stuff going on with uh, our mixers and the new TV shows. But I got to tell you, there's so much going on in Las Vegas now. It's incredible. And I'm talking from the Vegas studio here. And we have construction and cranes everywhere in the city. It's really incredible. And one of the big companies that's actually leading the surge in Vegas is AEG Live, which books a lot of the rooms here in Vegas. Live entertainment is exploding. 
about 52% of Americans are going to go to a live concert this summer, which is amazing to me. Just a few years ago, concerts were down. The business wasn't doing well. I got to tell you, Vegas is all about live entertainment. And there's so many showrooms, Corey, right? Both sides of the street, block after block after block. If you want to go to a comedy show in Vegas, there's like 20 different ones you can go to. You want to go see music? Well, Jennifer Lopez is here. Lionel Richie is here. Diana Ross is here. I mean, there's so many people here that you can go see. Whatever you want to do in Vegas is incredibly competitive. And the rest of the country can learn about the competitive aspects of competing in Las Vegas with such large venues and such big acts. Well, the masterminds behind AEG Live's events in Las Vegas is the senior VB of booking, Bobby Reynolds, and Chris Hammond, who's responsible for buying all of the talent that AEG brings here in Las Vegas. Well, I find the whole concept of where is live music going, where is live entertainment going, fascinating. So I picked up the phone, I called Bobby Reynolds and Chris Hammond from AEG, and I said, come on in, guys, do the podcast. I want to talk about the future of live music, of comedy, of Las Vegas, and where can we see live entertainment going in the next few years? So when I come back, I'm going to be with Bobby Reynolds and Chris Hammond from AEG. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. So, Corey, you ever succumb to, like, the Hollywood scandal stories and stuff? Oh, yeah. Who hasn't? Yeah, it's really interesting stuff. So, A.J. Benza has his podcast called Fame is a Bitch on Podcast One. And he's a great gossip columnist, and he gives unfiltered opinions on the biggest scandals with his insider perspective on the lives of who's who in Hollywood and a bit of a tough guy demeanor as he has. Download new episodes of Fame is a Bitch. His show is really awesome every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Get your fix of gossip. Tapper's back. This is No Excuses with John Tapper. It's always fun for me to have business leaders here with me. There's a lot going on in the concert business today, big time. I don't know if you knew this, but it's Boomtown, really. And roughly 52% of everybody has been to a concert in the past year, right, guys? That's what the data shows. So it's Boomtown. So I'm with Bobby Reynolds, who's the senior vice president of booking for AEG Presents here in Las Vegas, and Chris Hammond, who's also a booking agent for here in Las Vegas. It's not easy to book this city, is it? It's not easy, but I think uh, the fun that we have kind of – overcompensates for how difficult it is. It is the most competitive market in the U.S., no yeah. doubt about it. You know what's interesting is one who, uh, I'll tell you a secret, years ago I did five minutes at the comedy store. I was running the Troubadour at the time. I was really young, and the manager of the comedy store was a friend of mine. He said, go do five minutes on stage. And right. So I did the five minutes on stage, and I had been a drummer then. So I was used to hiding behind an instrument on right. stage. But, man, it was the most paralyzing, uncomfortable experience of my life. Me alone, the bar stool, the right. spotlight, right. and a glass of water. I've, I've done something like that, too, and it's not an easy thing to do at all. No, it isn't. So when you take a look at what's going on, you guys have now focused on win, on encore, and you're bringing a whole new level of comedy to Vegas. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, it's something that's fairly new to the win. Uh, you know, typically um, the encore has been filled with entertainers, live live yep. music acts, and we continue to do that. But uh, just this year, we kind of dwelled into uh, a little bit of comedy, and uh, we've gone on sale with a couple big-name acts and, and a couple other acts that just blown it out ticket-wise. And uh, our first act was Chris Tucker in January, yeah. and we brought him in, and right away we realized after his first show, he had two shows in one night, that this this theater is so intimate and and the the pitch and the the theater people are on top of you it, it's a theater of 1500 seats but it feels like a club like and comedy should yes like comedy should and so you can see as a comedian you, you're up there and you can see the reaction of you know the people's faces and for better or for worse in the last row of the mez you know and, yeah. and it's something that's completely unique i think to any venue here in vegas uh, buddy hackett was one of my best friends oh wow and i was on a board of his charity singita and unfortunately, I can't say it on the air, but Buddy Hackett told me the joke that made the uh, uh, Johnny Carson show come on the air 12 seconds late one day when he was doing well. <laughs> but, you know, we used to do a, a charity raise event every year, and a bunch of comedians would come, and we'd raise a whole bunch of money. And comedy is so broad. 
You know, music is very tight demographically. Do you look at music differently from a demographic standpoint, Chris? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, there are some acts that, that Bobby's been working with for years that continue to just crush it there with Diana Ross, John Fogarty, yeah. and some of these other ones, as well as some new ones that uh, we're trying to broaden that spectrum of the type of client that comes to shows at Encore. And comedy is just one of those genres that, you know, brings a, you know, a diverse clientele yeah. in there, depending on which comedian you're bringing in on which night. Same thing with music, but like we've just talked about, a little bit easier. I think, I think com- music has a propensity to stick around longer. Uh, John Fogarty's been playing center field, frankly, for longer than I've been alive. Right. Uh, Diana Ross, too. Diana Ross, too. With comedy... Something doesn't resonate so well when you tell the same joke for 20 years. Yeah. It, it just doesn't happen. So a comedy act needs to be fresh, and those faces change more regularly than it does in the music world. And I think that help, helps keep the lineup fresh. You know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, when we look at TV and movies, right, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. TV shows last forever. They go into repeat. Right. They go into recycles. Right. But even great blockbusters like right. Titanic have sort of disappeared. Sure. But, you know, the but Dick watch, Van Dyke shows of the world. And you're still watching Seinfeld reruns, right? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. But it's interesting. So comedians fight for relevancy every day. I think they have to go out and reinvent themselves. And that's when you, I think, as, as a comedian, when you can go out and have two or three or four successful tours in a row, I think that kind of what catapults someone to be considered um, – at that iconic level, right. a Chris Rock, a Dave Chappelle. These are iconic guys that have gone out. And um, and that's on the younger side of things. I think comedians younger than them still have a lot to prove in their longevity. That's really, uh, I think, a unique thing when a comedian can be successful for, for decades. You know, when I look at Wynn as a property and, and one who's a marketing guy knows Las Vegas well like you guys do, Wynn is a, is a position of its own. It obviously has a market position. You can't do things that are beneath the brand mm. at win. So, I mean, that's why you book a Diana Ross at a property mm. like that. That's why you book a Fogarty at a property like that. There's a certain demographic yep. elevation, if you will, mm-hmm. to those types of brands. Does that carry through to comedy? Something we deal with constantly. Yeah, Something I've... we deal with constantly. And the win probably does a does as much as much due diligence, if not more, than some of the other properties that we deal with making sure they're win-worthy. I think they don't want someone terribly blue on stage. Right. I think they don't want someone leaning to one side or the other on the political spectrum. Very tumultuous topic right now. They so want comedy for everybody. They want comedy for everyone. They want people to laugh, and, yep. and they want uh, just someone in there that, that, that fits their brand as, 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 as much as possible. Yep, and, and, and that creates a challenge because right out of the gate, there's probably 20 25% of the comedian community Absolutely. That is inapplicable. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And we, you know, we, we have a giant list. And it, you know, it was a learning process for me personally. I know mm-hmm. Bobby's dealt with it yeah. a little bit longer. But for me personally, you know, bringing a list of comedians and then you know, saying, nope, this one's not worthy. And I'm like, but he's funny. And uh, it's like, yeah, but he's not. And now you kind of start to get it. And yeah. you know, we start to think about internally some comedians like, ah, not sure if that, that you know, gal or guy is going to fit the brand. But, yeah. but uh, you know, we whittle it down to those uh, select few and, um, you know, knock on wood, we've had, been having some success well, with it. You know, yeah. as, as much of a challenge as that does provide, I think the opportunities become greater when an artist gets the okay from the win. Odds are that artist wants to come in. They want to be on the win experience. They want to have the best culinary opportunities in the city. They want to have the cleanest, nicest Hallways to walk. An audience with a few dollars to spend. An audience with with, with a few dollars to spend. I mean, everyone everyone wants that. But to be the artist chosen to be the conduit for that weekend, I think there is something special about that. We we talk about a comedian named Sebastian Maniscalco who is going out and playing arenas around the country. Did four shows at Madison Square Garden in two nights. We have met the win, and there's something to be said there. It's not because we had the highest financial offer in town, but because he's going to take his wife and kids. And mother and father and their family, and they're going to go to win and have that experience. He recognizes the strength of that brand and what they've stood for for quite a long time. So in essence, by, by taking that gig, he's elevating his own brand. That's right. He's putting himself in a special That's club. Right. That's right. Which is no different than the club that a Diana Ross That's right. or Fogarty yeah. uh, 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 sits in. That's right. You know, it's interesting when you take a look at that because comedy today, you know, when I look back at the Buddy Hackett years, and you know, he was one of the first ones to use real 
vulgarity on stage. Right. And he was so cute he could get away with it in those days. But it seems like the pendulum is swinging back a little bit now against that kind of a delivery. Do you notice that? I think I noticed that a little bit. I think there's still some comedians out there that, that do work blue. I, I, I think it is maybe some of the PC nature that we have in this country. And am I the biggest fan of it? No. Uh, I still like some old school comedians that, that get down and dirty. Um, but I also, there is a level of respect that I have when a comedian can make you laugh and choose vocabulary that's passable to anyone. Just a self-imposed hurdle they overcome. Yeah, almost rather than the default beat to get you to laugh every time. Yes, sir. they got to exactly work a little right. harder for they it. they work a little harder for it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And when they do, boy, it's a home it run. It comes home. Yeah. So, so when you think about uh, uh, the company that, that y- you work for, Bobby, I mean, AEG is huge. 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 I mean, you guys own sports teams, venues. Right. Do you feel that it's an asset to work for a company of that size? Obviously, you have serious booking power. Mm-hmm. But do you have the freedom to manipulate Las Vegas and to control the market as its own entity? Yeah. Or is it very corporate controlled? No, no, no. We, we absolutely do. I think that's one of the best things. Our, the founders of our company, they truly do believe in giving one of their executives as many tools as they can or the or tools they need and letting me or Chris go, car, go carve our path. I think the downside of that is you get one shot. And if you right. do something that is not okay with the company or you do something underhanded or you do something that's just not kosher, for lack yep. of a better term, yep. then maybe there isn't a second chance. Certainly yep. if you do something that is, uh, you know, done with ill will. Or unethical or, or unethical, not the company's best interest. Then that's a wrap, you know. Absolutely. Um, but I, I certainly enjoy working for this company. The opportunities that we get, the, um, the support that we have – uh, really is impressive. Really is impressive. Yeah, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me when, when you take a look at the envelope that you just said. So, in other words, if you book a bad show mm-hmm. and you lose money on that show, mm-hmm. if you had the best interest of the company mm-hmm. at heart, oh, yeah. acting in an ethical way, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, good company mm-hmm. guy, you can weather that bad booking. Buddy, if I got let go the first time I lost money, I'd be gone a long time ago. Right. It's not about that. They don't judge me or Chris on show by show. One show, they judge me at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if you have a bad year, but your heart's in the right place, your head's in the right place, you work your ass off. Excuse my, excuse yep. my no, friend, no, it's okay. You're getting somewhere. Then you're going to be just fine. Right. You're going to be just fine. It's a big learning curve in your business, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is a real big one. You know, when you think about uh, um, the venues here in Vegas and how marketing has changed over the years in social media, I was reading the other day. You know, just preparing for our talk here, I was reading how about 53 percent of people access new music today online. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing the same is true with comedy content and connecting with comedy stars. So is your business different in a way that you market it today? Is social media much more prevalent in the way you go about it? What's different? Because you've been doing this for a few years. Yeah. What are the big differences in how you go at it? I don't, whether it's comedy or whether it's music, it's certainly different. Um, when I got involved in this business, I mean... Facebook wasn't contemplated yet, right? Yeah. And all the other mediums that, that follow that, they weren't even contemplated yet. The fact that we can go out there now and put a clip of Sebastian Maniscalco or Ali Wong on Facebook and let that permeate through all of my followers, the Wins followers, the Uncle followers, and the same for any artist in, 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 in what we're doing. I had an artist um, at the joint at the Hard Rock on, sure. on Friday night. Um, his name is Juice World. 20-year-old kid from Chicago, his song Lucid Dreams has 800 million views, uh, listens Listen. on Spotify. Jeez. 800 million. But nobody's okay. ever heard of him. More than someone like Richard Pryor has ever right. had. And you say no one's ever heard of him. Chris's daughter was actually at the show. John, when I tell you, and the show was sold out to the, to the, to the walls, okay? Every single kid in that room had their phone up, taking videos, taking picture, wow. and they knew every word of every song. Wow. It, all it was amazing. Through social. All through social media. So they got exposed media. to him, connected with him, learned the music, and all of it was and done then, through social. And then not only – and on all that stuff is great, but then it was monetized by both him and us because – we didn't have a billboard for the show. We didn't have people handing out flyers for the show. Right. Yes, we bought some radio. Yes, we put some money on Spotify. Mm-hmm. But social media is what drove that show home. And frankly, it's what's driven his career as a 20-year-old person. Wow. Not an icon yet. Maybe yeah. one day he will be. 
but uh, drove it to sell the Hard Rock out in advance. Wow. And for an urban show, uh, I can't describe how exceptional that is. That's quite an accomplishment. Quite an accomplishment. So I and know, I wish I had more to do with it, but uh, – you know. So Dana White is a friend of mine. Dana has mm-hmm. been on this show sure. with me. And we were talking about when he books all of his fighters and he mm-hmm. has his booking room with his 500 fighters, how a lot of his decision of who he pairs with is social media activity. Mm. Do you, when you look at comedians, is that something you assess? Yeah, now, in that case, obviously, that was a big motivator right, for you. Right. That's one example. Yeah, yeah. But absolutely. I mean, I've got a chart that uh, goes through, and I'll check and go through and just chart their social media, whether it's their Facebook followers, their Instagram followers, how active they are, um, YouTube streams, Spotify, whatever it may be, uh, Netflix, for comedians specifically Netflix, you know, mm-hmm. is there special? How it's, how's it ranking? How's it doing? On Netflix because that's been a game changer in the comedian space. Yep. Uh, but not easy to track. But, but it's not easy to track by design on their right. side. Right. And, and that's combined with your standard metrics of all right, what are their past plays? How many tickets they sell? What was the average ticket price? And you kind of take that and, and um, you know just melt it together, and you kind of see a bigger picture of how we think they'll do. I, I also think I know Chris would agree. It's a lot of gut, right? This is a business with feel and yes. taste. Does this band? Make me feel emotions, make me feel happy, sad, energetic. Does, Does this comedian make me laugh? Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of I call pe- it connective tissue. There you go. Is it connecting? A lot of people that are, are – have been doing what I do for a lot longer and are, are better at it than I will always say find a band that makes you into it. Not – don't go looking for what someone else might like. Go with what you like. And if your taste is really that good, if your gut is that good – and odds are it will translate to other people. And, and, and I think, you know, thus far it's been, it's been good for me. Yeah. Many years ago, I ran a troubadour in Highwood, California. Yeah, I know, I know these, some of these stories. <laughs> I watch your show a lot, and you bring oh, that up, but I it, always turn, turn the volume up and talk it, about it, that. Those were great days. And I remember when uh, uh, I was involved in it, the Knack. Oh, yeah. I you remember Knack. Played the song My Sharona in a nightclub. And never heard of them. Uh-huh. Didn't know they were just a bunch of kids from Texas. And da 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 da. I mean, what that did in a live room was incredible. Yeah. So I mean, that emotion that happened in a room, that connectiveness, mm-hmm. if you will, it just translated to the record company standing in line. You know it when you feel it. Yeah, it's amazing to me when some people don't feel that. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's so obvious to me. Right. Yeah, think. I get. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, I want to ask you who. But after your worst show, what was your worst show in numbers? I mean, what was your worst show? What was your worst experience? What was the one time when you said to yourself, man, I can't be any worse than this? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have, have an example in mind. And um, <laughs> Can you say who it was? Um, you don't have to. I'm just I'm trying to get a story out of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather not say okay. who, who it was. But I, I, remember, I remember being at the show and my boss came up to me and, and I was like, oh, man. Like he's gonna he's gonna give me some grief on this one, and he put his arm around me. He was like, "Great job, man." He's like, "Really, really great job." I'm like, are you looking at the same numbers I'm looking at? Because you know, you know. He goes, "Not." Nah. He goes, "I don't give a shit about the numbers." He's like, "You've done an awesome job. You put this thing together really, really well." And I promise you, one thing I know, we'll live to fight another day. He's like, "So great job. The band's happy. Your client at the Hard Rock's happy. Go on, go on and do your thing." And you know, this is a success in every other which way. Mm-hmm. You know, but. You got to make this money back to me. That's right. You owe me one. You got it, boss. You got it. You know. You know it's interesting. That was twelve years ago. <laughs> it's all an execution, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The music business is much tougher than a comedy business, isn't it? I, I mean, the comedy business. That's what I was saying. You have to keep finding that next new person. You really do. I, again, I. You know. Whereas the Rolling Stones, you can book them forever. That's yeah. That, that that's a band that that yep. same boss that put his arm around that night. He's the tour promoter for the Rolling Stones. They've been making money for decades on a much different scale. We talked about Fogarty, Dinah Ross. We do Elton John at the Coliseum, Celine at the Coliseum. Those are all our shows. Those shows play every single night, and they're exceptional. They've been doing it for a long time. Comedy's different. Uh, I think the music business probably provides a few more headaches. But the comedy business, man, you've got to be on your toes 24-7. Hit it while it's hot. Yeah, Hit it while sure. it's hot. And yeah, no one yeah. to walk away. Do you think booking a venue like Wynn, because of its upscale nature, because of these standards that they have, the expectations that they have. And, of course, they're looking for impact on gaming drop, mm-hmm. right? They're looking for a lot of metrics from you guys when you deliver. Right. Is it tougher to book a venue like that than it is more of a mid-scale casino? I won't throw a brand out there. I don't think so because I really covet the fact that the brand is held with such high regard. Mm-hmm. I really do like that. 
and you think that's leverage for you. Here's something that you could that you could relate to. If I order a a vodka and soda at any place on the strip, it's fourteen dollars. Order that same vodka soda at the win, it's seventeen dollars. Why? Because it's nicer there. Feels the better. The bars are clean. There's no cigarettes in the ashtray. They pay attention to those details. Perceived value. They dot their I's and they cross their T's. And there is a value for that. Yeah. I believe that. So I can take the same artist and charge more for their ticket, pay him or her more money. I make more money because it's at the win. Their seats are nicer. Their seats are a little wider. There's more leg room between your knee and the seat in front mm. of you. That goes a long way. It sure to hell the does. The sound is impeccable. You know, you're selling a whole experience, and I think, and that's the thing. From the moment you walk down that hallway to the Encore Theater, you are walking through a beautiful, beautiful hallway. There's never dirt on the floor. There's never an errant cup left behind. I pick up on those details. Do the fans pick up on those details time after time? I don't know. Subliminally, you know better they than do. I. But subliminally, I guarantee you they do. Absolutely, they walk they in do. and they know they're having. A, a pro ball experience is what I call it. You don't see the dirt that's not there, but you see the dirt that is yes, there. Yes, sir. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and you don't notice that you're comfortable, but you notice when you're uncomfortable. That's right. You're 100% <laughs> and, and, you know, these right. These things really matter. They, they, it resonates, I think. It does. So it's all about commitment at the end of the day it to is. the customer. It is. Yeah. When, when you book comedy acts now, um, obviously there's no backline musicians. There's none of the technical writers, none of those things in it. On the other hand, being in the television business, yeah. and I'm proud to tell you guys, I was nominated for a Critics' Choice Award oh, just right about two hours ago. Congratulations, And you were the man. first people I've ever said oh, this right. to. Good for you. So I've never won anything like that we're before. We're the first to congratulate you. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> so, 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 you know, when you take a look at TV today, you know, the network sitcoms are not as many as they used right, to be. Right. So the cultivation of comedians isn't there. You know, Netflix sure is doing some, but the, a lot of them are more dramatic than, uh, than comedy kind mm-hmm. of shows. So do you find that there's less of a training ground for comedians? I don't know that it's less of a training ground. I mean, I know there's those small clubs out there. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, when you see these comedians come up, and I look at a, a lot of the numbers, I always rely on Bobby for that gut right now, uh, gut feeling uncertain. So I, I look at a lot of those numbers, and you see either somebody's progressing or not progressing, then how many tickets, we're going to book them and win. Well, they were just, you know, two years ago selling, you know, 150 tickets at some small club for $20 a ticket. Uh, you know, you you progress, and I think comedians more than – I don't know if it's more than bands, but more than anything, you have to kind of pay your dues a little yeah, bit. You sure have do. to play yeah. those. And, and I, I tell you, I, the amount of you know, feedback and immediate feedback and thick skin you need to have to be a stand-up comedian <laughs> unbelievable. is, is yeah. unbelievable to me because you know, I'll, I'll try to tell a joke at a dinner party, and if it bombs, I'll worry about it for days. <laughs> oh, yeah. You won't <laughs> talk the rest of the yeah. night. Yeah. This Typ- guy's got to keep going yeah, right, for right, 49 yeah, minutes. Right, exactly. <laughs> Typically, it's funny, but you know. <laughs> So, so uh, uh, where do you live, Bobby? In Southern Highlands. Southern Highlands. You, how long you lived here in Vegas? Twelve years. Twelve years. Mm-hmm. You love it here? I do very much. So, where'd you move from? Born and raised in New York. Ah, oh, me too. We're in New York. Uh, White Plains. Oh, yeah. Born in Hartsdale. Yeah, I know. I know. Nice to know. Uh, my goal was to get back to New York when I when I left New York back in the day, and that was just me not knowing what else was out there. Uh, I, I love Las Vegas. Yeah, me too, buddy. Yep. And you know, pretty soon you're not going to be able to get a hot dog in New York. Fuck that. Right? <laughs> I know, right? I know. I'm sure we'll find one. Where are you from, Chris? Uh, Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, okay. Yep. My, my uh, daughter lives in Henderson, Kentucky. Oh, really? How okay. long have you been in Vegas? Uh, 20 years. Long time. Yeah, long time. So uh, came by way of Lexington to North Carolina, Florida, then here. So yeah. been around a bit. I don't know the answer to this. Maybe you guys do. How many seats are there in Vegas in venues? Oh, man, that's a great question. Without well, a calculator, could you guess? I, I could I could definitely go down the strip and 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 do a roster of wits in all those venues. Um, I mean, to say over a hundred thousand seats is obvious. Yes, that's very obvious. Could be one hundred thirty, one hundred forty thousand. Yeah, I mean, theory. it could be that number. Um, you know, T-Mobile at at, at nineteen, and the Grand yeah. Garden at, the at seventeen, now. and the park now, the Coliseum, the Joint, the Pearl, Mandalay Bay, and then you nickel and dime the rooms of the Flamingo and Bally's and places like this. The beach holds forty five hundred. Right, right. Yeah. The beach at Mandalay Bay. So, how do you overcome that competition? I mean, I can't imagine the pressure that you're under, Chris, when when you think about the amount of seats and pure competition that you're against every night. Well, I think in particular to win specific, I think we use win as a selling point. As an advantage. Yeah, and we use it as an advantage and, and yeah. really say, you know, you really need to be playing this room as, you know, instead of this other other venue because it's just, it's your level, you know, and it elevates so, you. 
Do you look at what other people are doing, or you just book your room independently? Oh, we definitely look at what other people are doing. Yep. So we you, keep a real focus on them. We keep our own scorecard. Yep, of right? course. So you look saying. at convention center. You look at conventions coming in, demographics coming in. Obviously, in wind, there's an Asian impact. There's a senality mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. audience as well. So all of this stuff is in consideration. Oh, yeah. It's fascinating. And people don't necessarily get this out of, out of Las Vegas. You can sell tickets, but if you don't impact the casino positively, you're going to be looking for another venue pretty quickly. Beat it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just, you know, th- there just isn't that much room, that many weekends out there to have something that doesn't impact not only the casino. Uh, the casino, obviously, restaurants, retail. property, so, that's right. I mean, property-wide, non-gaming revenue, as we know, has surpassed gaming revenue in this city. And when it did, it really hasn't looked back since then. Yeah. Um, and that it's it's obviously we play a big role in that. Yeah, we we just we just wrapped up a a run with an artist named Robbie Williams from the UK. Mm-hmm. It was our fastest sellout at the win ever. Went on sale with six six shows. We have ten more. They're already sold out. Jeez. But Robbie's fans are early forties, have expendable income. So they'll come to Vegas for the weekend. They'll to come see him. to Vegas, and that's the crowd that. We'll gamble. We'll go to the club. Oh, yeah. You know, we'll go to the spa. And you sold some room nights around it, oh, too. Oh, yeah. A ton, so, ton of them. That's a home run. Thousands. You know, it's interesting. Years ago, the demo changed in a city, mm-hmm. right? The demo used to be about 49 to 55 mm-hmm. years old. Big gaming drop. Mm-hmm. All the clubs came in. Right. It shifted. The, the median age went down to what now? It's about 29 to 34. Yeah, sure. Gaming drop got cut in half. Right. So at the end of the day, we're all counting on you. <laughs> to bring us the audience that provides that gaming drop to keep this city fueled. That, that really is a true statement. You yeah. know, that really is a true statement. It's interesting and, how it works. And in Vegas, there's such a sameness these days. There's so yeah. many Cirque shows. Right. There's so many comedy venues. You guys have an opportunity to really create a difference here. Yeah. And I, I think when, you know, the, the meat and potatoes of our business out here is that residency business. I mentioned yeah. earlier some of the artists that we're involved with at the park, at the Coliseum, our residency business. When... And providing the fans and ticket buyers a chance to see a show they can't see anywhere else in the world, that's the magic, Yeah. right? That's the magic where someone saves up their money, decides to, to, to fly to Las Vegas to spend their time and hard-earned money to go see one of our shows. You better, you, you better deliver because if honor. you don't, someone else will. It's an honor. It is. I, that's one of the things I always I say. I say that, yeah. too. The Looking out into they, a crowd and, and seeing in that. They trusted us. Yeah, right. They, right. they, they, big, they entrusted their two and a half days, their one yes. vacation a year to yes. us. That's, that's, that's quite flattering. And, and, you know, that's why you're good at this. Yeah. Because you accept things. that. Mm-hmm. And so do you, yeah, Chris. Yeah. And that's why I think I'm good at this because mm-hmm. those shows are not about you. Yeah, totally. It, it's about them completely. Yep. Wow. What do we have to look forward to? What's coming up? Can you give me any announcement? Can you give me a scoop on anything? <laughs> <laughs> scoop. Uh, well, we've got. I mean, obviously, we've got a good roster of comedians. Uh, Jim Gaffigan in a couple Ooh. weeks, who's, who's huge. Uh, we've got Ali Wong coming in Labor Day weekend, Great. which is one of the biggest up and coming comedians. We go old school with John Cleese in November, and then one of the hottest up and coming at the end of this month is a guy named Joe Coy, who you know he's played I think at the Mirage forever uh, or Treasure Island he was mm-hmm. playing but he's from Vegas and you know he wor- used to work in the ticket office and at Treasure Island yeah. and he's he's just you know he's one of those guys that put in his dues and kept doing and now he sold out three shows back to back to back it win I mean in I don't know 10 days mm-hmm. the first 10 days it was on sale and it was just one of those things from his standpoint where he's so excited to kind of be able to be elevated up to play the win right. and it, it's something that you know makes you know puts a stamp of approval on him as well as us on bringing in top-notch comedy you know it's almost like new york it's one thing to play new york it's another thing to play broadway that's right right, right it's one say, thing to play vegas it's another thing to play win how do you get to play carnegie hall practice yeah. <laughs> right. it's that, it's that win is probably a thing. good stop yeah. by the way to right. carnegie yeah. hall that's right Guys, this was a lot of fun. Great to have yeah. you. Chris, yeah. Bobby, pleasure. pleasure to meet We're going to look forward to all the shows that are upcoming. Where can we see your listings? Where can we see what's coming up? You can go to aegpresents.com. Uh, siphon your way over to the Las Vegas side, and, and uh, that'll be a good start. Also, you can check the Encore Theater yeah. at the Wind. Wind website. The Coliseum at Caesars Palace and the Joint at the Hard Rock to check for the vast majority of our shows. Great. How many venues are you guys booking now in Vegas? How many rooms? We do three on an exclusive level, and then we're always in the mix. You know, AEG owns half of T-Mobile Arena. Yep. Uh, we, we work with our partners at MGM and all the arena shows on the beach at Mandalay Bay. So at any given time, we have shows on sale at 
six to nine different venues in the city. Yeah, Unbelievable. The Smith Center is a great partner with us downtown, servicing yep. the local market. Gorgeous venue. I've been there. Yep, great venue. Yeah, gorgeous. Okay, last question, guys. You hockey fans? Big time. <laughs> How pissed are you about Game 7? I don't want to talk about it now, John. I can't watch the playoffs. I don't want to talk about it. I can't. I will not watch the Stanley yeah. Cup this year. Oh, it yeah. is just outrageous. Do you no, agree? You're talking to two season ticket holders yeah. and was just... We shouldn't have been in a game seven. I'll say that up three one. Yep. We shouldn't have been in a game seven, but that was really some BS. How that ended, man. That was I was not okay with that. No, me neither. Yeah, that was that was a really. And now they're going to beat the Avalanche, who we would have easily right. beaten. We'd be going I, around three right now. Right. The East Coast been... is not that strong. I, I hate to predict so much, but could have been ours this year. Yeah. And know? now they change the rules. Those plays now go to Toronto. They're not called on the ice anymore. Be. How's that happen? And can you imagine how Eakin feels, right? The player calls. Yeah. But the player right. who the penalty was against came, came out, out and said it yes, shouldn't have been. I know. He said that should have been a five-minute major. Yeah. As if we needed his validation. But the fact that you had it is like. Right. Oh, that's really digs it in. Yeah, right? really. It'll solve the wound, right? <laughs> yeah, terrible. <laughs> All right, guys. Hope yeah, to hey. see you tonight's game. All Thanks, right. John. Thanks. Pleasure. Well, thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Chris. You know, there's always lessons and I try to create takeaways in all of our podcasts. And to me, the, you know, the big takeaway that Chris and Bobby talked about was the fact that they make mistakes. They book acts. Nobody comes. The room is empty. They don't get fired. They get patted on the back for a hell of an effort. You're going to learn from this. You won't do this again. You know, the fact of the matter is the live entertainment business, if everybody who booked a bad show was fired, there'd be no bookers left in the country. You see, we learn from our mistakes We shouldn't be scared to make them. And the great thing about Bobby and Chris is every time they book an act in the city, they're taking a chance, aren't they, Corey? You never know. Oh, completely. Competition can hurt you. Weather can hurt you. There's so many factors. So they've learned to put fear aside. And I'm going back to my book and the excuses that hold us back. But in their business, there can be no fear. They make the best decision they can. They move forward, and they take their lumps. And we can all learn from that in our own businesses. Corey, you know, what we should do is not be scared of fear. When it feels right, don't let fear hold you back. Go for it. And the most that happens from a bad situation. Let me say this again. So when you have a great idea, you can't let fear hold you back, Corey, right? No, yeah. Because that's what paralyzes you. So if we recognize that and we understand that fear can't hold us back, only bad decisions should, that's how guys like Chris and Bobby become a home run. That's how they book great shows, by booking not-so-great shows, too. And we can all learn from that. So the trick is make great decisions, but don't let fear hold you back. I will be right back with audience calls. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Hello, guys. It's MMA fighter Chael Sonnen. Check out my podcast, You're Welcome, with Chael Sonnen every Wednesday and Friday right here at Podcast One. We cover the latest in mixed martial arts and everything else going on in the world of sport. Listen free to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen, exclusively available at PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app. If you love the show, share it with a friend and leave us a rating and review. Down. All right, John. New week and new callers. Let's shut it. it down. First up, we have Brendan. Brendan, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, John. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, my pleasure. So you're an industrial engineering student. That's correct. Yeah, wow, boy. You're entering currently, a... Uh, I was currently at the University of Oakland in Michigan. Ah, well, first of all, nice to be up in Michigan this time of year. But, you know, you're entering such a exciting business at this time with, you know, the manufacturing uh, uh, and industrial manufacturing and, and how manufacturing is coming back to life in America. It's sort of an exciting time. And uh, 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 are you feeling it around you, how exciting a time it is for that industry? Absolutely. Uh, some of the stuff they do with cut metal, I know my experience before uh, this has been as an, a machinist and the seeds they cut metal with, I mean, an average person's never seen it, but if you if you ever see it, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's really cool. Well, I get a chance, to, obviously, to tour wonderful facilities and see factories, and I even got a private tour of Disney's Galaxy Edge a few weeks ago. You want to talk about industrial engineering of flow and efficiencies and, and crowd control and the infusion of technology into those environments. You work in a very, very exciting profession. Uh, what do you want to talk about today? 
I wanted to know what your experience has been with process improvement. I mean, I I can obviously see that you have a process the way you do both Bar Rescue, probably your other businesses as well. And I was wondering if that was something you perfected formally with a process engineer, if that was something that came about informally. Well, you know, being one that works in a single discipline, in a restaurant and bar space, I've worked with many architects and, and designers and industrial engineers over the years building big facilities and mega facilities around the country. On bar rescue, most of the bars are pretty small. So to me, it's more of an equation of efficiency, steps, positioning, sight lines, a flow of product, flow of people. And, you know, we grid it out and we model it out very much like you guys do, but it's a much simpler model. Uh, uh, in the smaller bars that we do on Bar Rescue. But I'll tell you something that's really interesting, Brendan. As one who's consulted to some of the biggest hotel companies in the world, when hoteliers develop restaurants and when hoteliers develop more specialized facilities, entertainment venues, restaurants, etc., they typically use hotel architects. And you'll find this interesting. Hotel architects don't have the industrial engineering and discipline background of a restaurant designer or architect. They don't know the efficiencies, the mechanical systems. So often what happens is when I am called into a failing hotel restaurant, I walk into a restaurant that was designed by an architect who should be doing guest rooms, not restaurants. The service stations are in the wrong places. The efficiencies aren't set up properly. The sight lines aren't right. There's extra steps everywhere in the production processes, the flow of people. It's completely wrong because there is no orientation to industry-specific engineering. So it's funny how, how so many architectural firms that are good at hotels and good at building things don't reach out to industrial engineering people and the kind of people that have the disciplines you do that not only create a beautiful space but create an efficient one. And unfortunately, Brendan, I think that there's a lot of architectural firms that don't do that, and it surprises me. Yeah, it's uh, crazy when you see something designed inefficiently because I always tell people if you want to make one thing, that's craftsmanship. But if you want to do a thousand things, that's a process. That's right. And that process better be profitable. And to me, every step costs money. Every wasted lumen of light costs money. Every extra square foot of refrigeration costs money. And what happens is people put in things that are twice the size that you need, half the size that you need, twice as far away than it should be, or half as close as it should be. And these little decisions make a huge difference. Brendan, you're going into an exciting business, buddy. You can make a difference for people doing what you do. You know that. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. Well, I hope this talk was good for you, buddy. I appreciate your time, John. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Congratulations. Knock him dead. All right, John, this is Jason, and he's a Vegas local. Hey, Jason, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, thanks. What do you want to talk about today? No, I know um, legislation just kind of passed a, a, a marijuana smoking lounge. Um, I guess they're allowing it now. Yep. Um, just kind of curious on if that would be a, a good investment. Um, I know they're they're kind of a, it's a new concept, so obviously people don't really have a proof um, for that. And uh, would it be kind of like opening up a bar? You know, I think that the person who opens the first one in Las Vegas is going to make so much money they can almost print it themselves. And here's why. 42 million tourists come to Las Vegas every year. When they come to Las Vegas, I like to say they do more of everything. They have more sex than normal. <laughs> they eat a little more than normal. Right. They drink a little more than normal. They stay up a little later than normal. They have more fun than normal. And they probably smoke a little cannabis if they haven't in 20 years or, or, or uh, uh, would smoke a little more than normal. So, you right. know, people that come to Vegas are looking for experiences like that. So I think it's a slam dunk home run in Vegas. You know, when I look at it, though, I don't want it to become an opium den. You know, I want it to be a class operation. I want, I want people to be able to enjoy cannabis while they're watching sports, while they're eating something well, you know, and enjoying themselves in a great social environment. If they can pull right. off the social like environment, I think it'll be great. What do you think? I, I, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping the same thing. Um, I, I would I would kind of see it almost like a bar type concept. Um, I'm just just curious on if uh, if it would become uh, legal in other bars too, or they have to specifically uh, go to a smoking lounge. I guess. Well, the 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 issue is going to be the mixing of a liquor license and a cannabis license. That has not been approved. So right now, the, you're not going to buy alcohol in a cannabis lounge. 
and you're not going to buy gotcha. cannabis in an alcohol lounge. Now, mixing those two is, is I think, years away. Uh, and I was mentioning this earlier, you know, there's cannabiers and products like that that are mm-hmm. produced with cannabis, but they don't have alcohol in them. A can of beer is not a cannabis beer. There's no alcohol in it. It's just a brew uh, made with cannabis. So nobody's been able to, to legally put alcohol and cannabis together, and I think that's years ahead. So I don't think you'll be drinking a, a Manhattan while you, you, you uh, consume cannabis in these lounges. I think there'll be cannabis right. only with foods and, and and probably a lot of munchies, wouldn't you think? <laughs> right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, no. Bunch of Hostess uh, no, Twinkies, I'm, I'm bags of potato I'm, chips, some chocolate cake. <laughs> Right, yeah. It, it might as well turn it into a restaurant, right? <laughs> Probably. But if it's a um, great environment with desserts for late night where you can enjoy some cannabis and have a great social environment, I think it'll be a home run in Las Vegas. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's great news. I'm hoping the same thing. So Great. Good to talk to you, buddy. Awesome. Thank you, John. Take care. Listen, I'd really love it if you'd be on the show. You can challenge me, argue with me, disagree with me, agree with me, whatever you like. But the more challenging, the better. Just send an email to podcast at johntaffer.com, podcast at johntaffer.com. Corey will open those emails. He'll set it up with you. And then you and I will talk on a podcast and we'll have some fun. And by the way, while you're at it, don't forget to hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts or go to podcast.com or the Podcast One app and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Well, this is fun. I'm heading out to uh, actually got a big day tomorrow, Corey. Have a big nightclub and bar convention planning meeting here in the offices, planning oh, wow. out the nightclub and bar convention for next year, then yep. flying to Denver to shoot my 178th bar episode, bar rescue episode, and then I fly to Fallon, Nevada to our whiskey distillery, and I work with our team at a board meeting there at our whiskey distillery, then back to do a reveal and bar rescue, then back here for the weekend, and back to Denver for episode 179, so... It's a traveling week for me. I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for being here. Next week, episode 48. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.